For, for 5,000 years of world history, the family was the basic economic unit. And in fact, if you look at the word economics, it comes from the Greek word oikonomia. And the word oiko is family. And the word law, it, it, or the word nomos is law or vision. And so economics used to be the law, the rules, the vision of the family. And so, um, you know, we've, but we've lost that. Like you don't walk into Walmart anymore and say like, my family has a vision to be fruitful for the Lord. Would you hire us? Welcome to the Generosity Now podcast, where we bring you inspiring stories of generosity and whole life stewardship. Our goal is to showcase individuals and organizations making a positive impact in our communities and across the world. I'm your host, Lori Bossert, Vice President of the National Christian Foundation, Rocky Mountains Region, and I'm joined by my incredible co-host, Eric Most, an amazing boss also. Today we have Chad Roach on the show with us. Chad is a serial entrepreneur, impact investor, ministry leader, and a man after God's own heart. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thanks, Lori and Eric, for having me on. It's a privilege to be with you and uh, excited to talk about these topics. Thanks, Lori. It's, uh, it's, it is great to be here as well with, uh, with, with Chad and with you and, and, and getting to jump in and have, have this fun conversation. Um, uh, Chad, um, thank, you for, thank you for making the time. You and I just met uh, together for the first time um, last week and we sat down and we were just having such great conversations. I was taking so many great notes. I'm like, man, we, we got to have you on the generosity now podcast. And so, um, thank you for carving out time, joining us today. And, um, we'd love to hear a little bit about your story. So give us a little background of who is Chad, what was family growing up like? Um, uh, give us a little bit of your, your career arc that you've, you've, and the journey you've been on. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, really, I wish today you could be interviewing my dad because that's uh, that's where the fun of all the story starts. My parents loved me, homeschooled me, raised me in a believing home. And uh, my goal in life is to live up to some of the things that they set out in terms of their vision for me. We're very close and I'm very grateful to my parents for kind of setting up that trajectory and uh, just would like to thank the Lord for um, them pointing me in this direction. Uh, they taught me to love learning and in a homeschool environment, like that was kind of early part of it. Um, that resulted in entrepreneurism at an early age. I graduated from my homeschool high school when I was 16. I was in law school by the time I was 17. Um, I had started um, some entrepreneurial businesses. I was pursuing a mentorship with a nonprofit and we were traveling around the world. And I feel like in a large part, I got an earlier start than many did because my parents um, you know, just really set out to provide uh, learning opportunities and to teach us to love learning from an early age. And when you love learning and you love being creative and when you love work and the joy of work, like all of a sudden just fruitfulness starts to happen. And I'm, and I'm thankful for that. Um, you know, I've been able to start over 30 different businesses um, in, um, in the last uh, 15 years or so. Um, they range from uh, precious metals sales to financial services, wealth management, real estate development, um, and more recently, Bitcoin mining, uh, in addition to um, working in the nonprofit space with a ministry generations passing on the faith. And that's really near and dear to my heart as well. 
Um, it's it's fun to make money, but honestly, it's even more rewarding to see people's lives change for Jesus, especially in the dark age that we live in. Uh, it's great to be a light, and so um, I love I love that. I love seeing families transformed. I love seeing parents pass on the faith to their children. I love seeing children honor their parents and continue in the vision that they've set for them and walking with the Lord. If we can see more of that, then I think there's a lot of reasons to be hopeful. What what. <laughs> What one introduction? Uh, Thirty businesses. That that is actually even news to me too. So I didn't realize you've started that many. I was first introduced to you. Um, uh, we said we just met, but I first heard of you um, when you were taking part um, in the Lions Den um, as it related to the Living Water Car Wash. Um, would you give us just a little bit of uh, uh, that history? We've talked um, on the Generosity Now podcast. We've actually talked about impact investing. Um, we actually have an episode that you can listen to um, and and hear more if you don't really understand anything about impact investing. But but you were part of a, a pitch session where you also got some funding through impact investments with Living Water. So give us a little bit of, uh, there's so many businesses out there that you've done, but but let's talk about that one for just a little bit. Yeah, no, that, that that's a fun business. It started out as being real estate development. A buddy of mine in our church, another homeschool dad, came to me and said, and this was kind of when I was in my 20s, just having fun. And he came and said, hey, Chad, let's go do real estate development together. And I was up for a challenge. That was something new. So we started doing land development in the Denver area. And uh, we were we were building pad sites, retail sites for companies like Advanced Auto Parts, Discount Tire. We were about ready to sell one to a group that was going to do a 7-Eleven. And then at the last minute, that deal fell through. And we said, well, what are we going to do with this land? We tried to sell it to a restaurant, tried to sell it to another gas station. And so my partner came to me and said, hey, Chad, you know, let's do a car wash here. And my answer to him, no kidding, this was my answer, was what decent self-respecting real estate developer would ever do a car wash on purpose? And, um, and you know what, I've been eating my words ever since. Mm -hmm. So the Lord uh, allowed us to uh, start the first tunnel express car wash um, that, um, that that was was going to be built there in the Littleton area of Colorado. And we called it living water car wash. Uh, we wanted it to specifically and explicitly honor God and be a, a, a ministry, a light, if you will, in the marketplace. And um, so we build it on a model of being closed Sunday. Sunday is the second busiest day in the car wash industry. And everyone said, you're going to go bankrupt. This isn't going to work. And they were laughing and just waiting until they could buy us from the bank. Um, it ended up having one of the strongest openings of any car wash in, in Colorado at that time and was a huge success. And then in the next three years, we proceeded to build out six more car washes um, by 2021, we had sold seven car washes with a pipeline of four additional in the works to a private equity company. Um, but uh, it was a great story. God had you know built a business, uh, almost 100 employees, and just growing. And what our model was is we were going to love on employees, and we were going to serve customers with excellence. Uh, and we were going to be closed Sunday. And I think the closed Sunday, you know, in Denver is not really a religious town. It's actually the third most secular city in America. Um, but I think what it messaged to our customers is something's more important to us than the bottom line. I don't think they all held the conviction about, you know, about Sunday being a day of rest. But I think many of them said, you know what, that's cool to find a business that isn't all about maximizing their own profits. Um, and then when it came to like our employees, we had a Chick-fil-A model. We would hire like camp coaches to come in and be our manager so that they could love on these kids and teach these kids. Because a lot of the car wash employees, they're minimum wage kids. It's maybe their first or second job. They need, they need help. This is a critical time in their life. And having kind of wise older people come along as mentors and coaches to them and point them to Jesus when life gets tough, that was a great opportunity. So we really enjoyed that. Um, when we sold, it was a fantastic opportunity for us 
to really dive into the concept of strategic generosity. So like at the end of it, I became like a local salesman for donor advised funds. I told all of our investors, like you guys have to do this. If you don't start a donor advised fund and actually take advantage of the strategic structuring, you know, opportunity here, like you're just like giving money away to the IRS. So I think we had, you know, a half a dozen people that for the first time in their lives started donor advised funds and started thinking strategically about charitable giving. It was just the right opportunity for that. We were selling a company. We were able to do some stock contributions to charity. It's just like, it was the right moment. So I became very passionate about strategic generosity in that moment. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I mean, hey, if, if you're listening here and you just, um, you have to hit pause and, and walk away, you've just had three great takeaways though. Love your employees, serve customers with excellence, uh, be closed on Sunday, honor honor the Sabbath. Like right there, we're, we're good to go. So, um, but we're, we got so much more to talk about. Um, you you transitioned out of out of living water, and um, you now you you mentioned something also in the uh, in, in in the earlier part about um, Bitcoin mining. I, I didn't know that people were still mining Bitcoin. Could you could you talk to us about that? Yeah, absolutely. So my interest in Bitcoin. Um, it came about as I was kind of on the tail end of the real estate work that I was doing. And I became interested in part because of some of the work that I actually do on the nonprofit side. Um, one of our nonprofit organizations that I was a big part of, um, we were designated as a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center, who goes around basically picking pro-family uh, organizations and calling them hate groups if they are a proponent of biblical marriage and if they don't kowtow to the cultural expressions of, um, of homosexuality. And so um, we were designated as a hate group. As a result, we were then, we lost our web hosting, our Amazon account, our PayPal account, our MasterCard and Visa processing account. We lost our ability to interact with and interchange with the financial network. They weren't able to you know, freeze our financial bank accounts and you know, freeze our cash and our assets. But it struck me that they weren't very far away from being able to do that. And when they point that, you know, that gun of the cancel culture at Christian ministries, they're pretty effective in actually kind of shutting down their ability to be able to interact with folks. And by God's grace, we're able to figure out different workarounds and continue on with ministry. But it made me realize it's time that Christians need to be thinking about an alternative ecosystem that is not being able to be used like a stick in the hands of those who want to cancel the Christian message. And so um, Bitcoin is a decentralized peer-to-peer uh, censorship-resistant transfer of value. It's a mechanism. It's a store of value, if you will. Some people have called it digital gold. It's a way to transfer value back and forth in a way that nobody can control. And the way that it works is that Bitcoin miners, which are um, data centers, if you will, filled with computers that run the Bitcoin calculations in the Bitcoin network, um, they're decentralized they're all over the world. And there's no uh, mechanism even by which they can cancel or unwind transactions. It's, it's sort of a decentralized uh, system of governance. And so by participating in that, um, I felt like this was a possible, I, you know, I'm no, I'm no prophet nor the son of one. I don't know the future, but this is a possible way that we as Christians in the future can think through trading and exchanging and value, even if we get canceled out of traditional finance systems. And so um, at the same time, it also had a very interesting return profile. Not a lot of people know about it. And so it's, it's difficult, it's complex. And um, by, by understanding that and spending the last three years studying that market, 
we've realized that there's a great cash flow opportunity. It's a recurring revenue. Every 10 minutes, the Bitcoin network issues new Bitcoin to the miners that run the network. And so there's basically a recurring cash flow component that was very similar to what we were experiencing in car washing. Mm. So what we go do is we go develop a data center, fill it with equipment, and then there's a recurring revenue sort of output from that, which wasn't all that different than our car wash business. You develop a project, you put some equipment in it, and there's kind of recurring monthly revenue that flows out of that. So it felt very familiar from a business concept, and it was very rewarding from a sense of like, look, if, if in 20, 30 years from now, my children came to me and say, hey, dad, we saw the culture. They started pointing the gun at Christians and they started canceling them. What did you do about it? I want to have an answer to that question. Maybe or maybe not, this is going to be the answer for the future, but I'm going to have to lend my hand at something and give it a try. Mm. Mm. That's great. That's great. I love that. Uh, you know, when we were talking together, you also, um, uh, before this, you talked about that uh, you have a real heart for seeing families make money together to also be able to give together. Could you flesh that out yes. a little bit more for us? Yeah. So in our ministry with Generations Passing on the Faith, one thing that we have noticed is that the, the economic situation in America today tends to be very fragmenting for the family. It tends to pull dad off into his own world, mom off into her world, sends the kids into their own worlds. Everybody thinks in terms of, what am I good at? What's my career? What do I want to do with my life? Everyone thinks like an individualist. That's how our culture conditions us. We wanted to bring back a biblical concept that has existed for 5,000 years till people forgot about it in the last couple hundred years of individualism. And that's the concept of, you could call it a covenant, a body, a group, a family, right? A, a family, oikonomia. And the word oiko is family. And the word law, it, it, or the word nomos is law or vision. And so economics used to be the law, the rules, the vision of the family. And so, um, you know, we've, but we've lost that. Like, you don't walk into Walmart anymore and say, like, my family has a vision to be fruitful for the Lord. Would you hire us? Dad's really good at this. You know, my oldest daughter, she's a fantastic typer. She's really good on the computer. My nine-year-old son, he stocks shelves. My wife, she's really good with, you know, managing things. Like, Walmart doesn't hire families. Nobody thinks like that anymore. Everybody thinks like an individual. But we said, hey, what if families actually thought of themselves as a unit and they pursued us a, a vision for the kingdom of God? That doesn't mean everybody has to do the same thing every day. But what if you think in terms of your giving, your serving, your work, your learning, your fruitfulness as a family? And that's how my family, like, that's how we grew up. We did things as a family. We served as a family. We worked as a family. We played as a family. We had family businesses. Now, not exclusively. My dad also had a job that he did that was independent of my sisters and, you know, my mom. But, like, we just tried to think more in terms of a family. And it was a great blessing to us because it gave us a context to be together, to love being with each other, to be fruitful together, to, to serve in ministry together. My dad has been part of the Generations Ministry for over 30 years. I've been with them for now close to 20 years. And I'm hoping, Lord willing, that my sons will do this after me and that there'll be a hundred years of the Roach family serving, you know, the Lord in this vision of generations passing on the faith. You know, if we can see that, that's something our culture doesn't get anymore. There's no, there's no longevity. You know, where, where are the historic Christian stories where there would be pastors where for 400 years, the pastor would pass from father to son in churches in Europe? You know, we just, we, we've lost that concept in the modern age, and we're trying to bring it back. 
Chad, it is very inspiring to hear how your family has just really been able to continue this generation over generation faith that you all have. Um, was your wife also brought up in a faith family like this? Yeah, she, she, she was homeschooled. She's one of a bunch of kids as well. We met at church. And um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's sweet to be able to come together. Now, you know, all of our families have problems, you know, we all, you know, we all have a sin that we need to overcome. There's no perfect story out there. You know, I could tell you a long time about the the difficulties, you know, my dad spent a lot of time mentoring me growing up. And that didn't start out because he had this fantastic vision for mentorship. It started out because I was a really hard headed teenager. And I wasn't getting along with mom well in the homeschool. And so mom looked at dad and said, Hey, look, here's your teenage son, go raise him, you know? And so my dad's mentoring of me in his work when I was a young teenager, I basically spent from the time I was 14 on doing my schoolwork with my dad in his office. And then he would, I would basically learn fast and finish all my schoolwork, you know, by lunchtime and then work in the afternoons and evenings with him in the business. So like by the time I was 16 or 17, I had three or four years of sales and customer service experience, and I was ready to start my own business. And that wasn't some stroke of genius. It was because I was a sinner and I was rebellious and I wasn't getting along with my mom. God did a great work in my life in part through my dad taking me into his life. And 16, 17 years old old was a very transitional time for me. God softened my heart and I have an extremely sweet relationship with my parents you know, we live 900 feet away from each other and have, you know, our entire, my entire marriage, you know, I'm now raising five children and my mom's helping me, you know, teach them and homeschool them, you know, supporting my wife and I, as we homeschool. So it's a very sweet thing when kind of hearts can meld, but no, it wasn't like always like that. God did that as a work of grace and sanctification. Right. And there's that story that we all have to tell on that. Like, I don't know that any parent like has a perfect run with their children, but like faithfulness and sticking to the vision, I believe that God's going to bless that. So good. I love the, the, the idea of um, uh, mentorship uh, in, in learning fast. That way you think you can get on sales calls and be involved with your dad. Um, my son Hudson actually just came uh, to me yesterday and just said, Hey, can I go on like one of your meetings sometime, dad? And I'm like, uh, at some point, buddy. And, uh, and I'm like, Oh, you did, you, you, you got to go on this call with, um, Henry Kastner we had actually, uh, in town and, and, and he came and talked about investment and, and how business works. And so I'm like, you were on that one. He's like, yeah, I want to go on another one. I'm like, all right, so we'll have to figure out another, another, another meeting to take Hudson on. Uh, but I love that idea of incorporating, uh, that you were incorporating your dad's even though because it's your hard headedness, but how are you applying that with your own kids? Um, as you're thinking about for this future as well? Yeah, and that's a great question. Um, my, uh, I, I have five children, uh, three boys, eight, seven, and six years old, and then two younger girls. Um, and so, like, we're just now getting to the point where, like, seven, eight years old, like, they're thinking, like, oh, what is dad doing? And they're taking some interest in that. One thing that was most stands out to me from my raising that my dad did, he was always available. And I think that one one problem, and I'm gonna, and I'll just confess, like this is a, this is a difficult thing for me not to fall into this trap. But here's a trap that I've seen. There's these guys; they're good at what they do. They're leaders. You know, my dad was a leader. He was talented. He was, you know, uh, you know, he 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 could have gone out and made like a gazillion dollars in if he wanted to, right? But what he did was he prioritized making himself available to his family and to his children and to the generations ministry. And so instead of him becoming this entrepreneur that filled the headlines 
he instead invested in others who could go out and excel. My dad, my dad's a good businessman, but like he didn't live the financially successful life he could have had he just committed himself to that. And I think a lot of times what happens is you see this talent and in the generations, that talent just becomes a magnet at that one level. And it sort of doesn't allow the children to go on and excel the parents. And my parents had a very specific vision that they wanted their children to do more and better than what they did. And they set up their lives to be able to accomplish that. And now they're, I think, in some ways, reaping the sweetness of that as like they're close to, they're within walking distance of, you know, a dozen grandchildren, right? And so there's like a sweetness there and an intergenerational connection. Sweet for them, sweet for us, sweet for the grandkids. It's, it's a blessing. But like there's a temptation now for me to not be that for my boys. So like one of the businesses I have right now, the main reason I do it is because it's great for me to bring my boys with me. We buy and sell land in the Colorado mountains. We buy large ranches. We subdivide them and sell them into smaller ranches. We've done maybe $50 million worth of these ranches in the last 18 months. And so my boys think it's the best business in the world because they get to come up and ride snowmobiles and ATVs with dad in the mountains looking at property. And somehow that's a work day, right? That's just fantastic in their mind. They think that's the, if you ask them what they want to do, I want to sell, buy and sell ranches like dad. They couldn't care less about Bitcoin mining right now. That's a little over their head, but they think this ranch business is great. The ranch business is great, but it's great because I get to do it with them at their level. But that takes a certain amount of focus like if every entrepreneur is just always about maximizing his own bottom line, you're going to basically reap in one generation what you'll have to pay for in the next. And I think it's better to actually invest such that every generation is successively more fruitful, successively more connected generationally and in the faith and to the Lord and in the relationship and love with the Lord. Like we, too many stories are great entrepreneur, kids walked away or just didn't thrive in their father's shadow. And I don't want that story to be told of me by God's grace. It sounds like the time that you get to spend with the boys is very sweet time. And do you weave in the story of generosity as you're doing some of this investing and development with the boys as you're spending these times with them? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, we do try to include them in that discussion. Um, sometimes it's hard for them to understand like, oh, you know, we're trying to be generous to a discipleship ministry and explain some of the complexities of like what some of the groups do. But we try to find the ones that they can more connect to. Um, one one ministry we've loved connecting them in on is, is Generosity Due to Samaritan's Purse. And so like every year there's this Christmas shoe box and we give the kids money and they go to Walmart and they buy all the things for their own shoe box. And this is the, you know, eight-year-old down to the four-year-old, you know, it's like all the full stack of kids and they're going. And it's so hard because like you see in their mind, they're walking down the toy aisle to fill this box to give to someone else. And they're like, wait a second, like I would like that, but like I'm buying it for someone else. And it's like introducing that. So we are trying to find ways to connect them as as we continue to like grow and mature as a family, we would like to keep looping them in more and more. I think the most tangible way for the little ages is to actually serve. Money doesn't mean anything when you're six. So like that daddy gave a dollar or a million dollars to an organization it just doesn't like it doesn't register. But when you're six, so we will bring them and specifically look for opportunities where we can serve as a family, which means like, so for those of us entrepreneurs who are always thinking in terms of delegating and most efficient use of our time and not doing the like low level labor stuff in our organizations, it actually means I'm targeting minimum wage work 
that I can engage with with my family because that's 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 where my kids are, right? So we're like hustling boxes of books into cars as a family, not because that's where like the value is created in these organizations that I work with, but like that's how you teach faithfulness. And then like, Lord willing, 10 years from now, you know, it will pay off and they're going to have hearts that are just oriented towards service and, you know, given to the Lord and wanting to give themselves to him in any place they find themselves. And then, then as their skills and competencies grow, there'll be more and more sophisticated ways for them to do that. That's great. On the Generosity Now podcast, we talk a lot about the whole life stewardship. And by that, we we use life as an acronym and it stands for labor, influence, finances, and expertise. And so, um, and, and arguably, uh, I'll say oftentimes that, that maybe we do the best job with the stewardship of our, and, and generosity of our finances. And yet, yet statistics would also say that even though that's the best, we're still doing a pretty poor job as a people. But out of all of them, that's probably the one we do the best on. Um, and so the opportunity to, to use our labor that you're, you're teaching them right now, right, influence um, expertise as well, right? You guys have been involved with generations for, for many, many years. What is that involvement? And what is generations as well? So people can get an idea. What is the scope that, that, that generations, um, the work that they do? And, uh, yeah. and then what's your involvement look like? Yeah. So um, what Generation's goal is, is very simply to help parents pass on the faith to their children, to see generational faith restored in America. Um, we we do that through a basic discipleship and, um, and, and, and family training message. Um, and so that's going to happen through a daily radio program. We do a daily five-minute news broadcast called The Worldview in Five Minutes, helping families understand and look at biblical events through a distinctively Christian worldview and through the worldview of the actual scriptures. So we bring the scriptures into news events. Um, we'll do an online event called Homeschool Summits. We've had over 200,000 families come through this all around the world. We actually train and teach families how they can homeschool and how they can be excellent in discipling and training their children for the Lord at home and bringing God back to the center of that educational process. Uh, we actually are writing and launching a K through 12 curriculum. Uh, we've uh, completed multiple uh, subjects and we're expanding into others uh, uh, as well. So we're actually building resources that help bring Christ to the center of the educational experience um, written specifically for the homeschool environment. And then we're actually trying to help launch and replicate this vision around the world. We're helping launch homeschooling organizations in other countries. Uh, we're working right now closely with the nation of Brazil. They launched their first homeschool conference in history last year. 2,500 people showed up, and it's not even legal to do in Brazil. This year, they're expecting 4,000 people at their conference. They've got this brand new socialist government. These families are committed, and we want to come beside them and help them and partner with them. So like most of my international travel, I've been to 34 different countries. Most of my international travels with the ministry as we're helping launch a family discipleship vision in other continents. Um, so we're very passionate about that. My dad has involved our family very early on. Like my life goal ever since I was seven, eight, nine, 10, 12 years old was like to go and be a part and help my parents and do the things that they were doing because that was what was exciting to me. Um, my dad, as the president of the board for generations, would would have would host the board meeting in our home. And it was great because the board loved it because my my sisters were great cooks and there was the food is just always fantastic. But my dad did it very specifically so that we as his children could listen in on the meetings and catch the vision for what my parents were doing. And I think a lot of parents just like fail to communicate and to bring their children into an environment where the kids get excited and passionate about it. I've seen a lot of passionate dads but it's harder to find a passionate dad whose son is also passionate about the same things that dad was passionate about. So my dad was very thoughtful in that, I'm very grateful for that. So I've been going to board meetings. I haven't really missed a board meeting since I was, I think, maybe like 15 years old. 
And so like, that's a lot, a lot of board meetings, right? You know, and then eventually they added me to the board. Eventually after like 15 years of being around, they're like, Hey, do you want to join the board? You're like, you've been here forever. And so like, Oh, sure. Like, that'd be nice. So that's great. That's great. No, I, you make me think about, um, uh, another family, a set of givers that we have up in, in their Denver office who have really been invested in a, uh, in an orphanage in Nicaragua and they spend every Christmas, um, at a minimum, it's every Christmas together, um, serving that orphanage in Nicaragua as a family. They've been doing it now for, for 15 plus years. And, oh, fantastic. Um, and now like when the, when the, the kids, you know, had, had college break, they, instead of coming home, they were going to Nicaragua and, and, and when they were always looking for opportunities. And so that, that immersion of, of working together as a family, right in ministry, I think has, has completely encaptured that whole family with a focus on, on, on life as ministry. And so really that's, that's a, that's a great, beautiful way that you. Oh, I got to meet this that. family. That sounds fantastic. They also have a real passion for clean drinking water. So, you, you know, your, your, your water world and, uh, and kids, uh, you, you yeah. probably love it. We'll, we'll get you connected for sure. Um, you know, the, um, you're talking a lot about families and I love that. What do you see are some like the biggest challenges of families today? And, and like, what are, what are some things that either generations are doing or, or we could do as individuals to help with that? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think that the big picture, like, as I look across the culture, it's a generational breakdown of faith. Too many children are walking away from whatever the parents had, which makes me think, what did the parents have and why did that not get passed down? Um, I think it's it's a combination of th- different things. It's fathers' hearts engaging with their wives and with their children. You know, when a dad gets engaged, it's a very different story for the home and for the faith. Uh, I think a lot of dads have been relying on mom to wear, you know, the spiritual, you know, boots of the family and to kind of lead out in that direction. And I think that we're now seeing the consequences of that. I think as moms being willing to point their hearts towards home, you know, there's something, you know, there's something kind of ignoble about the fact that my wife is like going through raising five kids and it's probably not really rewarding right in this moment. And here I am getting like talk on a podcast. Like, so like that's, there's a certain level, like moms have to like be okay with the fact that a lot of their service, while incredibly important, while spiritually monumental in its significance, it's going to be less noticed. And that's hard, right? And then, you know, then there's children, right? that like have to lean into their parents and like the honor of parents is lost in our culture. The media, peer influence, everything is pointing children away from breaking away from their parents, right? We just live in a, in a day and age where the faith has kind of broken down in that generational handoff. And so I think that like that is the key thing that we want to focus on is helping families, you know, pass on the faith, helping the hearts of fathers and mothers be connected with their children, children with their parents. And obviously that all only happens when there's a renewal of Christ at the center in the spirit filling of that home. There's no recipes. There's no like little cute things we can do. It's not just add money and get a couple investors together to invest in a program. Like, unfortunately, the only, or fortunately, the only way this thing can get solved is by the spirit of God, you know, creating, you know, love in in hard hearts right in in a, in, a, in a culture where the love of many have gone cold we just want to see the love of parents increase towards their children and the love of god and children towards their parents and to see you know that come together jen i really appreciate that um can you share a specific story or example of how the work of generations has actually made a difference in a family um it is challenging and 
sometimes the U.S. church, it feels like they say if you do A, B, C, and D, then all of your family will be blessed. And we want to give people the, the, the reality of it is about God, and it's how we can help each other in that process. And it's not formula. You know, there's no formula of how to make a successful Christian family. Yeah, that's right. That's right. There's no, It's not a one, two, three step. Um, it's not just join the system or join my support group or join my little nonprofit ministry and all that will be fixed. Um, but it is the work of God. And the work of God, it, 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 we, when, when God says to us, call out for these things and knock and, and seek and I will answer, he does. And as families truly seek this, as they say, yes, that's my vision, God does answer that. And we have seen some really sweet stories. I think of one story of a young man. He was part of a, a local church and his peers, and they were all studying these this literature and all the thinkers of the world with all their kind of vain and worldly philosophies. We published a book that actually exposed some of that and actually brought Christ back to the center of kind of high school literature and history. And um, he, he ran across this book. He started reading it, was initially highly offended by it. Um, it was just very, it was counterculture to everything of what he and his church friends at the time had all been studying. But what he realized is that, um, you know, these were the vain philosophies of the world and not the knowledge and the wisdom of Christ. And so he ended up um, kind of taking another turn, another direction. God used that as a pivotal moment of faith in his life. And now looking back, he just, he, he just expressed to our ministry, said every friend that I was in that study with that had rejected this direction I took and was all in on this other philosophy we were studying, every one of them to a man has left the church and left the faith to, to the extent that it is visibly noticeable. And it just, you know, didn't realize just how intense the battle of the worldviews are and were. And so being able to like be a part of that, whether it's in that story in the high school years or to just be a part of helping. My story is like, I don't remember a day where I didn't know the Lord and wasn't walking with him because I had parents that were helping guide me in that way, to walk in the way of Christ, and then to truly love that way. And we want to try to help encourage those families to make that such that it is normative for children to walk in the way of Christ and to love it and to have that as a joyful thing. And um, that's that's hard to do because you know it's it's a tall order when the culture promises all these you know shiny wonderful things like oh there's all this fulfillment out there in a life of sin like that's appealing to children right you know that there's like all kinds of like the, the media and like you know all these things i can do um but to be able to present christ as the great desire right that's what god said to abraham is i am your exceedingly great reward if parents can convey to their children that the great reward that they're after is the lord god Boy, that's going to change the outlook, and it's going to be hard for the enemy to undermine that with all of his shiny temptations. Hmm. Hmm. So good, so good. Well, hey, uh, Chad, it's been so good to have you on the show. You know, one thing that we like to ask our guests um, is also, like, has there been a book or a specific resource that has had significant, um, significantly help, been helpful for you in your own walk of, of generosity and stewardship um, and that you'd like to highlight? We'll, 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 we'll put this in the show notes and, and make sure it's available for folks. You know, that's a great question. Interestingly, it was not it was not a book. It was a life. Mm -hmm. It was the life that my father and my pastor lived. Mm. And, um, you know, I wish I could say that it was a book. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't. It was it was that they lived a life that exhibited that and that demonstrated the joy of it. 
And that's a really powerful book. If I could condense it in a book, I'd love to, and then I'd love to write it. I just don't want to mess it up. So, um, but no, it's the life of my pastor and my father. Mm, that's so good. Hey, I love that. I I pray that, um, I do, I, I pray that my boys would say the same thing, you know, um, uh, may, 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 may it be true. Well, Chad, thank you so much for the time today. We really, really do appreciate it. It's been great having you on there. Um, if people wanted to, to, to follow along with you, had some questions or, or wanted to, to yeah. know more about generations, like how do, how do people get in touch with you or like, how do they keep track of what's going on? Yeah. Go to generations.org. Um, we have a daily radio program. Um, we have a daily news program. Twice a year, we'll run a week-long homeschool summit. So if you're interested at all in the concept of family discipleship or homeschooling, um, that's at homeschoolsummits.com. Um, and uh, we've got a lot of resources to just encourage and strengthen families. Um, you know, I think that since COVID, there's a lot of people that have considered themselves um, and just all the chaos that's happened in our culture in the last two to three years, there's this term, the silent majority, right? And I think the silent majority sometimes wonders, like, we don't like to be silent. Like, couldn't we just, like, go down and, like, burn down a Walgreens or a Target like the other side does to make our point? But the reality is that's not really our worldview, right? And so what is our worldview? It's, it's, it's the truth. It's quietly and faithfully serving the Lord and being a light to all all those around us and also in our families generationally as well. And so like, I think if that, like I want to do something about the world around me and what I realize is there's nothing more important than just being faithful in walking as a dad, as a husband. And we want to just support and help the people who resonate to that message and um, to be faithful and to be a light in the darkness. Well, thank you so much, Chad. It's been great having you on the show today, and uh, we're grateful for the work that you're doing. Um, looking forward to the next 30 business that you're that you're going to create and uh, see what those are and, and see how you continue to steward those and, and see how your your kids, your boys and your girls as they as they age uh, follow in the in the generations of, of hope that they have in Christ. And so thank you so much for the time today. We're really grateful for having you on the show. Thank you again, Eric. Appreciate it also, Lori. Thank you, it's a joy to be with you. Well, Lori, it was great having Chad on the podcast, and there was there was there's so much there to unpack and to to think back. I was wondering, was there any like key takeaways that you have um, from from the time you kind of listening in, in in the interview with Chad? Eric, there was so much that Chad shared that just really resonated. One of the key takeaways that I had, um, he shared early on in the podcast, and that was his love of learning and how his parents instilled in him a love of learning. That love of learning, I think, if, if we can all be intentional in that space, it can affect our day every day. It, it can help our own self-esteem in that each day I want to learn something new. I can learn it from others. I can learn it from God. And each day it's also a posture of humility in that I can learn new things about myself and others to be able to become a better follower of Christ. Mm-hmm. So true. Uh, you know, I it took until a season that I actually dropped out of college till I developed a love for learning. Um, uh, I was never, I don't feel like I was ever really inspired in school for it. And it, and it took the season where I actually had, had taken a, a break from college and um, I didn't have a TV. I was living, uh, I was I was incredibly poor. Uh, and I was, um, and so I'm like, well, maybe I should start reading some of those books I was supposed to read in high school. And that then 
uh, that that season developed in me just a love for learning as well, and and uh, a goal to, to 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 try to continually have a posture of learning. Uh, maybe that's why I listen to so many podcasts at two times speed and books. That way, I can like be getting as much content because I miss the first you know nineteen years of my life of really having that love for learning. So uh, that, that is a great call out. You know, something that really stood out to me was. Um, uh, Chad just talked about and, and lived and lives clearly with a significant amount of intentionality. Uh, he had an intentionality in his in his business and businesses um, in the business exit to use that um, as a as a tool for incredible charitable impact by by gifting some of his business prior to a sale um, was was so great. His intentionality, even how he ran the business with a focus on um, you know um, loving employees, um, serving customers with excellence. And, um, and, and honoring the Sabbath, being closed on Sundays. I mean, I, I, they, he didn't just go about, and he doesn't just go about life just kind of bouncing around. And unfortunately, so many of us do. And so um, he lived with great intentionality there. And then also with his family, with his kids and, and his parents and living in that way. Um, uh, it is good for us, uh, is a good reminder for us to continue to live with great intentionality. Now we, we realize that that um, not all families are able to 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 do um, uh, to homeschool and to to live the life that Chad and his his wife are doing with their kids, and that's okay. Uh, not all are able to 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 put kids in um, or or choose not to uh, for multiple reasons to not put their kids in 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 homeschooling situations or private school, and, and that is okay. But we are all called to live with great intentionality and to lead our families. Um, to um, to constantly be talking about the Lord and engaging with them that way, and I think that's that's really important. Um, and so it was it was a great conversation, really hopeful. It was um, beneficial to 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 all that will be listening to this. It was super helpful for me and my family. Um, I, I think the last thing that takes you know my takeaway was um, that that the desire to see his kids um, do more and be better than he is. And that's what his parents live, right? They, that's how they live. They lived in such a way that that their kids would do more and be better. And I think that's the hope of, of each of us, right? To see our kids. But we're not going to get there if we're not uh, intentional, if we're not focused on on doing that. And so I think that's so good. It is so good. And I just, I have such a joy to see our, my kids are older. They've already gotten to that point. And it is amazing to see how successful they have been, um, but not because of things that we did, specifically, but just bringing them to Christ, bringing, introducing them to Christ, and also that love of learning, intentionality of be proactive, make those decisions, have that relationship with Christ forefront in your mind, and that's where God shows up. God shows up every day for us. That's so good. Well, um, on the Generosity Now podcast, we seek to inspire, equip, and connect our listeners for generous kingdom impact and whole life stewardship. I'm going to go ahead and read from us uh, our doxology, so to speak, for today is out of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory, the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you all and have a great one. If you've uh, liked this show, please leave us a review, um, share it with your network and, uh, and make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Thank you and have a great day.